Dorothy Bank, 78, was strolling home from her local shops in Sydney's Lane Cove when a man approached her. Can I carry your bags, madam? The man asked. He was middle-aged, well-dressed, and appeared pleasant. A gentleman, it seemed. The man lugged Dorothy's groceries the remainder of the short walk down a laneway to her unit. She offered him a cup of tea in return for his kindness, but he declined and went on his way. Later that November 2nd afternoon in 1989, down that same laneway, that same man bludgeoned 85-year-old Margaret Pord across the back of the head. The woman's body was found in a pool of blood. Her clothes had been rearranged. Her shoes placed at her feet. Her handbag was stolen. It was the third time in eight months that an elderly woman on Sydney's North Shore had been found this way. And it wouldn't be the last. Chilling thrills, unexplained mysteries, and creepy stories that actually occurred. Welcome to Freakier Than Fiction. I'm your host Chad, and each episode, as you know, together we will dive into the world of the unknown. So, if that kind of thing interests you, and you haven't done this already, then hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way, you won't miss the next freaky episode. As this podcast is intended for mature audiences, discretion is advised. In this episode, we're taking a look at John Wayne Glover, also known as the Granny Killer. neighborhood of Mossman in Sydney, there lived John Wayne Glover, a cheerful man in his late 50s. By day he worked for a pie company and spent his free time helping out at the Senior Citizens Society. But behind his happy appearance lay a disturbing truth. Despite seeming content, Glover was involved in a series of daylight murders, all targeting elderly women. At first, police thought that a young person with sexual motives was to blame, but that wasn't the case. Glover wasn't motivated by sex. He struggled with impotence. Instead, his crimes were driven by a different problem. Though married with two daughters, Glover had a serious gambling habit. To feed this addiction, he resorted to extreme measures, stealing money by murdering elderly women for their purses. This contrast between his seemingly normal life and the terrible crimes he committed shows how darkness can hide behind an everyday facade. John had a rough start after leaving school, without much to show. He wandered, 
facing rejection wherever he turned. Born in England, he tried the British Army, but got kicked out when they found out about his past run-ins with the law. He packed up and moved to Australia in the late 1950s, unsure of what to do next. He landed a job as a sales rep for a food company. He got married and settled in Mossman, Sydney with his two children. But behind this seemingly normal life, there was a darker side. John Wayne Glover had a history of petty crimes, even in Australia, where he got into more trouble for theft and assaulting women in Melbourne. Things took a turn for the worse in the late 1970s and 80s. His life started spinning out of control. His mother, who had joined him in Australia in 1976, passed away from breast cancer in 1989, a disease he himself would later develop. His marriage fell apart and his wife moved away with their children. As time went on, his actions became increasingly harmful towards women. The number of offences and murders in which John Wayne Glover carried out may never be known for sure, but here are the victims that we do know about. John Wayne's Glover first known victim was 82-year-old Gwendolyn Mitchell. On the evening of March the 1st, 1989, after watching her leave the Mossman RSL, Glover followed her into the foyer of her apartment building and attacked her as she went to open her front door. He struck her head and body several times with a hammer before fleeing the scene, taking $100 from her purse. Gwendolyn was still alive when she was found by two schoolboys, but died shortly after the police arrived. There were no eyewitnesses or leads to identify the attacker. Believing that she had fallen, Gwendolyn's neighbours had cleaned the crime scene, effectively removing any forensic evidence. Glover's next victim was Lady Winfrieda Ashton, the widow of well-known painter Sir Will Ashton. She encountered Glover while walking along Military Road in Mossman, making her way back home to Raglan Street. Glover, donning gloves, followed her into the foyer of her apartment building. In a terrifying turn, he violently attacked her with a hammer, causing her to collapse onto the ground. He then dragged her into a nearby rubbish area repeatedly slamming her head against the hard concrete surface. Glover later admitted that Lady Ashen had put up a fierce fight, nearly overpowering him in the struggle. When she lost consciousness, Glover used her pantyhose to strangle her. To cover his tracks, he carefully placed her walking stick and shoes near her motionless body before rifling through her purse and stealing a hundred dollars. Nonchalantly, he visited 
the Mossman RSL and casually commented to the staff about the possibility of sirens being related to another failed mugging. Investigating officers noticed an unsettling detail. Despite the robbery, Lady Ashton's valuable diamond ring remained on her finger. This suggested that there was more to this gruesome crime than just the desire for money. Glover spotted his next victim, Margaret Pauld, while driving home from work along Longview Road in Mossman. He trailed her as she turned into a laneway leading to her house. Once Glover caught up, he struck her on the back and side of her head, causing her to collapse. He then tampered with her clothes and snatched her handbag. Ransacking the purse, he pocketed $300 in cash and callously discarded her bag into a stormwater drain at the Lane Cove County Club on River Road. Swiftly, he made his way to the Mossman RSL Club. Before this attack, Glover had approached 78-year-old Dorothy Bank, who was carrying groceries home. He offered to help and declined her invitation for tea when she kindly invited him in. Shockingly, that same afternoon was when he mercilessly attacked and killed Margaret Paul. Just 24 hours after killing Margaret Pauld, John Wayne Glover murdered Olive Cleveland. He travelled to Gardens Retirement Centre in Belrose to talk to the catering manager as part of his sales job, but struck up a conversation with Cleveland who was sitting nearby on a bench. When Cleveland felt uncomfortable and got up to leave, Glover followed her. As she walked towards the building foyer, he pushed past the doorway and into a concrete walkway by the side of the building. He repeatedly slammed her head into the concrete before removing her pantyhose and strangling her with them. Glover rearranged her clothes and shoes and stole $60 from her purse. There were no eyewitnesses to this attack. Glover's next victim was Muriel Falconer. At around 5pm, Glover parked his car near the Buena Vista Hotel in Mossman. Spotting Muriel Falconer walking down Head Road with her groceries, he concealed a hammer and gloves beneath his shirt and quietly trailed her to her residence. Muriel, who struggled with partial deafness and blindness, opened her door, unknowingly inviting Glover inside. Once inside the home, he viciously struck her head and neck repeatedly with the hidden hammer. Despite Muriel briefly regaining consciousness and crying out for help, Glover relentlessly attacked her again. He then used her pantyhose to strangle her, adjusted her shoes and stole $100 from her purse. The following day, a neighbour discovered Falconer's body. 
law enforcement found the crime scene undisturbed and gathered forensic evidence to aid in the investigation. Glover's final victim departed from his usual victim profile. Unlike the others, Joan Sinclair was known to Glover and much younger at just 60 years old. He organised a visit to her home at Beauty Point on the false premise of fixing a leak in her ceiling. Once Sinclair had let him in and showed him to the leak, he took out a hammer and struck her several times on the back of the head. He then removed her pantyhose and pulled her clothing over her head. Taking a second pair of pantyhose from her bedroom, he tied them around her neck and strangled her. Following the murder, Glover rolled Sinclair's body onto a mat, wrapped four towels around her extensive head wounds to stem the flow of blood, then dragged her body across the room, leaving a trail of blood. Sinclair was found naked from the waist down. Her genitals were damaged, but Glover denied raping her, insisting that they had been having a relationship for some time. In November of 1989, nearly a year after the series of murders began, a special task force compromising 70 officers was assembled to tackle the notorious Granny Killer case. Before his final murder, Glover was apprehended for indecently assaulting an 82-year-old terminally ill woman at Greenwich Hospital. The hospital staff took note of his vehicle's registration and promptly informed the police. Initially summoned for an interview on January the 13th of 1990, John Wayne Glover failed to show up due to hospitalisation following a suicide attempt. His chilling suicide note bluntly stated, No more grannies. Five days later, during his police interview, Glover denied any involvement in the assault. However, hospital staff, familiar with him from his pie sourrells, confirmed his identity through his photograph. On February the 5th, this information reached the task force, prompting them to place Glover under surveillance once he was discharged from the hospital. On March the 19th, two policemen followed Glover to Joan Sinclair's residence. Assuming Glover knew Sinclair, a much younger woman, the officers didn't anticipate an attack. Tragically, while they waited outside, Glover murdered Sinclair. After the heinous act, he attempted suicide by taking prescription drugs, slashing his wrists, and consuming a bottle of whiskey after running a bath. Hours passed without any sign of activity outside Sinclair's home, prompting the police to enter. They found Glover in the bathtub still alive. He was rushed to the hospital and was arrested straight after. At his 1990 trial, John Wayne Glover pleaded not guilty on the grounds of diminished responsibility. In other words, the accused's responsibility at the time of the killing 
was substantially impaired by a mental disorder. But the crimes indicated otherwise. When he killed, he was also planning what to do with the victim's money, which was usually spent on poker machines, gambling or alcohol. After each of the murders, he took the hammer that he used as a weapon, took it home and washed it in acid. And so there was supreme evidence of intent with all of the murders. So the question remained, why? Why kill these women? It wasn't the money. The amounts he stole from the women were small. Given the removal of the women's pantyhose, there was speculation that his motive was sexual. It also later emerged that between the second and the third killing, John Wayne Glover had indecently assaulted several women at retirement homes across Sydney. In some instances, he'd used his business as a salesman to gain access, while others occurred at the facility at which his mother-in-law lived. He would wander off during visits and prey on other residents. Yet, despite this perversion, there was no evidence that he sexually assaulted any of the women he killed. According to the police, Glover's motivation lies with the fractured relationship with his mother. As a psychologist testified during the trial, Glover, who loved his father deeply, resented his parents' separation and the fact that his mother had several husbands and boyfriends throughout his childhood. When she died in early 1989, Glover felt robbed of the opportunity to take her life. The relationship with his mother was everything to do with the motivation for his killing. Glover did not know any of his victims at all, but why did he kill them? Well, the answer to that is simply that when he was killing them, he was actually killing his own mother, who was already dead. John Wayne Glover was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. In delivering the sentence, the judge gave the rare order that the killer was never to be released. John Wayne Glover committed suicide in jail in September of 2005, aged 72. At an inquest into his death, it was speculated that he may have hung himself by accident in an attempt to gain sympathy. An extremely dangerous individual, John Wayne Glover pounced on vulnerable elderly women while their backs were turned. They had no chance against him, and for the six women that we know about who lost their lives, they died a terrifying death. Thank you for listening to the Freakier Than Fiction podcast. If you got something out of today's episode, and you haven't done this already, then hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way you won't miss the next freaky installment. And I'd love your feedback, as it really lets me know what you think about this episode and others that you may have already heard. So, please take the time to leave a 5-star review and let me know what you'd like to hear in upcoming new episodes. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find a Linktree account in the description of this episode, and that has all the links to most social media accounts, 
including Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Patreon. I do make sure to read all my direct messages and answer them personally. So, if I see you on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, or anywhere else, just know that I really appreciate all your support. And now, for something a little bit more personal. Over the next coming weeks, I'll be moving house. So, for now, this will be the last instalment of Freakier Than Fiction this year. I hope that everyone out there will have a fantastic and happy Christmas and New Year's. I will do one final Christmas special for this year's podcast, but with moving house and getting settled in, it's going to take me a little while to come back. So rather than leaving you all in the lurch, I thought I'd let you all know what was happening. Once everything is all settled in the new house and I'm set up, the podcast will be coming back in the new year. But until then, I hope that you have a safe and happy holiday period. And remember, take care out there, and be aware, for the night is alive with a darkness that hungers for your soul. The mysteries of the unknown are like a siren's call, tempting you to explore the depths of the macabre. But be warned, dear listeners, for those who delve too deep may find themselves lost forever in a world of madness and terror. So, as you step into those shadows, keep your eyes peeled and your mind open. For in this world of the inexplicable, there are no guarantees. Except for one. That when you tune into the next episode of Freakier Than Fiction, you'll be diving headfirst into the unknown. See you in the next episode.